Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Dan, and great to see and get cut up with you. It's certainly been a while and there's been so much going on, including uh, record highs for the markets pretty much across the board. Um, so great to be able to catch up with you. Uh, and why don't we just start with kind of your top-down view these days and, and how, you're, how you're looking at the market and the economic outlook. Sounds good. Thanks, Catherine. Great seeing you as well. It's, uh, it's nice, nice to see what you're doing. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're in a quite unique situation, in my opinion. So first of all, the large, large background is uh, we're in a structural bull market that started in 2013. Um, 2013 was a long time ago, and there's been certain hiccups. Certainly, COVID has been a very big hiccup. But look at us today, and COVID is not over, and we're skirting highs again. So, um, so the, from that perspective, the setup is very positive. Um, what has changed from before COVID? We were in a um, in a in a in a low growth, low inflation environment. And that worked well because, you know, growth, you, we paid up for growth. So technology worked really well um, and, and, and lots of sectors market was doing okay. Coming out of COVID, we're now in a reflation period. Reflation as opposed to low growth, low inflation environment. As we're coming out in the reopening and the pent up demand does create some inflationary pressures, which people do worry about. And we're gonna talk about why that's still balanced. Um, but we're in a reflation period, which is different than when we've been, which has implications on sectors, on currencies. Um, economic data has been by on balance, very good. Um, jobless claims were better. Retail sales were almost 10%. This is, an, this is pretty US centric what I'm talking about, but Canada is not far behind. Um, although we do have a, a third wave, so we kind of have a glimpse of what we can look for coming out of, of, of our um, third wave. Um, so, uh, you know, in the US, for example, Empire Manufacturing Index showed a very large portion of unfilled orders. Um, unfilled orders points to high demand at a time when inventory levels are low. And low inventory levels will push manufacturing prices higher. So this all leads to a pickup in CPI. Now earnings are the fuel of stock prices and earnings have been good so far, although about 90 companies in the US reported all better than expected. And the market has, feels like it's kind of priced it in before because we rallied ahead. And now those companies that have reported are not really showing a big rally in the stock prices, but that's okay as we're digesting it. Um, so, Value outperformed significantly year to date, but, and here is the but, and here's the offset to all this infl inflationary pressure. Uh -huh. um, corporate balance sheets are flush with cash. Volatility remains low and um, credit spreads are benign. 
Um, and there is a large amount of savings that um, people have saved up over this pandemic uh, by staying at home and not spending on a lot of things. So there's quite a big, um, quite a big savings um, um, gap, um, which will need to be spent before inflationary pressures really take off. Um, I have some pictures um, yeah. that I've put through mm-hmm. to show some other things in the tapestry. Um, that the you're US, looking at. Pardon? You're, they, you're looking yeah, at other things that you're kind of thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are some other points in the tapestry and then we'll pull it all together. Um, so the US bottom 50% net worth has increased over this period, not just um, not just you know the the wealthy that have more money. Um, say you know there is a narrative out there that the wealthy are invested in the stock market. I'd like to differ about that. There's regular people that are invested in the stock market through their 401ks, RSPs, and whatnot. So um, when the U.S. bottom 50% net worth is is going up, that's almost better than the top tier wealth doing better because that drives, that's what drives consumption. Um, another item is that in terms of flows, and you know, I'm the head of trading, so I look at flows a lot. Um, this Q1 2021 has been um, one of the largest inflows on record uh, in terms of equity inflows, um, which, which is supportive of equities. And yes, sentiment is pretty fulsome. Um, people are pretty positive. So that could mean that we could have a check back or we could just simmer for a little bit uh, of time. But when we look at flows and we say, oh my God, so much money has come into the market, probably we're due for a pullback. Um, long-term equity inflows have been very negative. And this blip, this extra, this great Q1 and flows has been very, very supportive, um, but it only brought us into almost a zero mark if you look at the multi-year flow picture. Um, Let me stop you there for one second, Dana. What do you mean a zero mark? Because when I'm looking at the chart right now, the amount of money that's flowed into the equity markets in Q1 2021 looks to be double anything we've ever seen historically yeah. since it's since it was back to 1996. So yeah. how wh- what's the right way to, to interpret this? Uh, well, if you look at it multi-year, equities have had cash outflows over the last few years, as we've had um, in our memory, the biggest bull bond market uh, ever, really. Um, so a ton of money has flown into bonds at the expense of equities. And now, as um, we're realizing that perhaps we've seen um, generational lows in interest rates, now money's starting to flow back into equities. So when you're looking at this big inflow for the quarter, um, I've sent you a chart that goes back to Jan 2019, and it shows you equities, bonds, and cash. And when you look at the chart um, on the equities, you see the dip and then the comeback, but it's really just at the same levels as it's been in 2019. 
So it's okay. really taking back outflows that we've experienced over the last couple of years. So when you're looking at a huge Q1 2021 inflow, you're thinking to yourself, you should be thinking to yourself, okay, but this sector has lost a lot of um, AUM, call it, over the last several years as the world has experienced a really strong bond bull market. And, and Diana, the reason why that is just so important is because um, a lot of people are really just focused in on the inflows in Q1 as opposed to putting it in context over the past number of years and the outflows. And therefore people are saying, and I, I've looked at this as well, I, you know, is a bit of a concern in terms of um, the record highs we're at and the earnings results, which are good, but there's really no incremental buyer at this point because so much money has flowed in. But that doesn't mean that there couldn't be much more is what I'm getting from you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, just to just to uh, touch on what you just said in terms of um, we it does feel in the last two to four weeks that the market's kind of grinding and not going anywhere. It's not responding to the so far earnings. Um, it really is a situation where portfolios are fine the way they are and portfolio managers or holders of equities, owners of equities, whatever they hold, perhaps they're in the right place. They're okay. There's no reason to make changes. So while the market is not really moving, it's not, to me, it doesn't feel so negative. It just feels boring. It's really not yeah. feeling off. There really is no um, feel, feeling out there that, oh, I have, to, I have to sell and it's important that I sell. I'm not selling, I'm not buying, I'm fine with what I'm holding and I'm doing my analysis as the earnings are coming in. So it's kind of simmering. Um, that's what it feels like to me at the moment, this lack of uh, follow through on the earnings. Plus it's still early. Um, right. <laughs> right. So it doesn't, uh, yeah. it's, just bore, it's just boring. It's just sitting there going, but it did price some of it in before because markets are yeah. skirting highs. You so, know, and it's, it, it's interesting as well, Dana, um, a dear friend of mine who, you know, runs a large firm, investment firm, um, when we were talking about the markets, even going back, uh, you know, maybe two months ago, when the markets felt like they were kind of just simmering or sitting, you know, he reminded me that part of that is like, it's a lack of tweets every day from, from the president. Oh, yeah. and, and, and that's what people wanted. People wanted a little bit more boring. So therefore we've got a little bit more boring in the markets. It is what it is. You know, maybe in a few more years, they don't want boring anymore. So, um, you know, that, 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 that changes us everything as well. 100%, that's very possible. Donald Trump announced yeah. a couple of days ago that he's seriously considering running for 2024. So enjoy your peace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let's take a, you know, you, you did start out by saying we're, we're in a bull market and you do have a uh, another chart that shows that, the bull versus the bears, bulls versus um, bears. What, what's yeah, significant so, about this chart? So, uh, you know, bulls versus bears, uh, it just shows the level of sentiment that's out there. Um, and my point in showing you that is that all this good news is not lost um, on anyone. Um, obviously, there is high sentiment out there. So we always weigh risk versus reward. And, you know, perhaps this is one of the risks as to why we could be grinding a little um, or maybe have, have a little correction, maybe two to five percent. Uh, but that I think that um, that would be a dip that would be bought. 
So okay. if you're looking at anything to offset all this bullishness, all this great earnings, all this liquidity in the market, uh, boring being good, if, if you, you know, you always want to look at your uh, blind spots, maybe this is a blind spot that, you know, maybe the sentiment is, is way out there. So, um, and if this is the reason that we'll be simmering, that's good. Um, bear markets um, don't start by, um, you know, by all good news usually. Usually, um, um, you know, there's, there's something more significant happening. So that's why I put up that chart, just to balance out all the, all the pluses. And plus, you know, it's a high-class problem that people are positive. They're positive about the economy. They're positive about coming out of COVID. They're positive about the fact that, and by the way, inflation. Equities are really a hedge against inflation up until about 5% inflation. Um, when you think about being invested in bonds or anything, you know, income related, that's not a capital gain or not a growth asset, and you have inflation that actually eats at your return. Whereas equities do provide a hedge against inflation. And from a PE perspective, from a valuation perspective, it doesn't start hurting till about inflation at 5% or more, which then becomes a problem. So okay. when we're looking at hedging for this inflationary um, potential going forward, let's say two to four years, um, you know, equities really are the place that will provide you with some hedge against that as well. And I'm just going to ask, di divert for one second here. When you yeah. think about um, inflation or rates peaking up, perking up a little bit here, what does that lead you to do and perhaps be concerned about with respect to your dividend stocks within the portfolio? Because, you know, if people have another alternative, which is actually to have a more secure investment or uh, per se, um, in terms of locking in like uh, some type of fixed income product, right. depending on the price uh, versus owning equities, that that's where the risk comes in, equities with a dividend. So how, how, how do you manage that? Right. So if you think that rates continue to go up, I wouldn't lock myself into a 2% or 3% rate return because in a year from now, that asset will be down as rates are gonna go higher than that. And this is why being invested in a fixed income security in a time of an increase in a rate environment eats at your return. So from a, a capital gain perspective, that asset pricing goes down. And from an opportunity cost perspective, the rate that you locked in now is lower than what you could get sometime in the future. In terms of what you can do about your dividends, for example, I'll give you an example of a stock we own. It's Nextera, it's a utility, uh, ticker is NEE. And um, it's a regular utility, but also a renewable energy company. So it operates two businesses, a regular utility, which is 65% of their revenue, and uh, Nextera Energy Resources, which is the renewable part. They do wind and solar. So they have a 2% dividend, and their five-year dividend growth rate was about 12% is about 12%, 12 and a half percent. So on the one side, I have this fixed income 
long duration asset that you're talking about that pays mm -hmm. me a 2% dividend with a dividend growth rate, so great, solid, um, um, conservative utility. But on the flip side, I have something that's really at the top of mind of investors and the world in general, which is renewable uh, renewables. Biden announced yesterday that by 2030, he seeks to lower emissions by 50%. Japan overnight announced that they're seeking to lower emissions by 46% by 2030. So everybody is working on renewables. Um, and so is this utility company. And so from, uh, from, a, from a conservative anchor on one side that pays you some sort of income, you also have the growth side of the equation, um, which, um, you know, there's high demand for renewable energy. We're looking to the future. This company is there for it. They have backlog of projects that is bigger than their current portfolio because of the high demand. And so this is an example of how you can uh, be invested in a company that you don't put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, from this perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the stock is up about, I don't know, probably 3% year to date. But if you look at a longer term chart, um, it, it's always there and it always pays. Mm -hmm. um, well, Diana, I want to pick up just, uh, it's interesting you brought up utilities because uh, I don't know if you saw uh, a very recent report from Goldman Sachs, an in-depth report on utilities in the United States. Um, and it looks as though there's quite a bit of opportunity. And the one of the basis for the report was just taking a look at um, tax structure. And if in fact, the U.S. corporate tax rate increases, it actually doesn't hurt to the same degree some of the utility companies because of the holding companies that utilities are under because of the amount of debt and leverage that they need to continue to build plants, which obviously all of us need. So it was um, had a little bit more of a tax bent or tilt to it, this report, but it highlighted, and you tell me that utilities right now are trading at a discount to the S&P 500. Apparently, normally they trade at a premium um, they do, to your point, some of them are offering nice yields, like 3.5%, with quite a bit of capital appreciation. So I'm just wondering, in addition to your uh, NEE that you own, um, are you looking at any other utilities because of kind of where they're at versus so many other companies from a valuation perspective that might be stretched? Yeah. Um, I think they, I think, I think it's safe to say that the reason that these companies are underperforming is they're considered um, a, a, a more of a, a fixed income um, asset, just like, I guess, REITs and, and, and such, and that don't do really well in a rising rate environment. Uh -huh. um, we don't expose ourselves to sectors because they're inexpensive. Um, they're inexpensive for a reason and they can stay that way. So you know how we work, we're pretty active and we go uh -huh. to what's working now um, as opposed to maybe what's in the future. The only reason we own Nextera is because of the, um, the stability of course, but also because of the renewable part of it. Um, it, it, it gives us, exposure to what we think is working now mm -hmm. and work in the near future. Um, in a rising rate environment, it's tough to own these things. So instead, 
if you want stability in the raising in the in the rising rate environment, um, you, one should look at financials. They've been underperforming for a long time, uh, especially in the U.S. Right? Canada is a little different. There is there is money that always invests in the financials in Canada, but in the U.S., um, um, you know, financials are a theme that can give you dividends uh, going forward in the U.S. as they get uh, approvals to pay back uh, to the shareholders and do buybacks. That's that's expected next summer, mm-hmm. um, so next quarter. Um, and uh, and and you know they haven't. They're not trading at crazy multiples like maybe some other more high flying tech, large cap, yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. But in terms of utilities in a world that's reflating, uh-huh. um, it, you know, you, you you might anchor yourself into a lower return environment through the utilities right now. I'll bet you're going to get that dividend and that low um, PE. Um, so I, I don't think you lose too much. But sometimes those utilities do go down a lot when they're mm-hmm. not in favor and the rates are rallying. So mm-hmm. I think that that's a risk. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, fair, fair point. Perspective. Um, I, you have to be a patient but, investor. <laughs> you know, the thing is that we say, we say we're invested for a long term, but people don't have a lot of patience to sit on losing positions for longer than a shorter period of time than what mm-hmm. they've determined their time horizon is. Yeah. Um, you know, you sit for a year on an investment that's not working and, you know, and, and everything and some other things are working and you say to yourself, am I in the right space? So mm-hmm. I think that risk tolerance and time horizons have altered somewhat in today's world. Yeah, a lot less patient than they themselves think they are. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you, I bought Stelco a couple of years ago and I was very patient and it's really paid off. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, yeah. I can do patience. Uh, yeah, if you do your work and, but you know, now, now you're gonna have a, a great old time because we're reflating and the commodity driven stocks are doing really well, which bodes well for Canada. Yeah, uh, and the Canadian dollar and stocks like Stelco, mm-hmm. um, and uh, energy is a little more muted uh, if you mm-hmm. look at uh, how it's been performing. But I think that probably has to do with ESG and their ability to ramp up production really fast. So some of the other commodity sectors like steel, iron ore, not iron ore, but copper mm-hmm. uh, and agriculture. Soft have done really, really well. So I think you're in the right spot there. Yeah. So the patience. I was like looking at, but I was like, it's gonna work. It's once this world starts growing or we need products, we'll we'll it'll get there. Uh, you know, and I, also, I think I think yeah. you you also need you in the portfolio, you probably have your stocks that you really believe in that you're patient on. Yeah. And then you have a small portion of your portfolio that should probably take advantage of what's working now, maybe a little faster, but you don't want to turn your portfolio over. No. And be so, yeah. Well, and, and on that 
point. I was going to ask you about this later, but I'll ask you about it now because it's been working and it's something that, to your point, I did go in because it was working. Um, cryptocurrencies. So, you know, I've always been, for, of course, full disclosure, I do own uh, QBTC, the Bitcoin fund. Um, what do you think about cryptocurrencies and, and how are you involved or not? You know, uh, we own QBTC as well. Mm. And uh, we own the QETH as well, which is the Ether. Um, it, it, it's, I think it's, it's complicated. Um, I think that it's certainly become a sector that one should keep an eye on and the small amount of exposure is not bad. Um, we've yet to see a lot of things, how they're gonna develop. So a lot of people are saying that one of the risks to crypto is of course that any moment in time, you can wake up in the morning and find yourself uh, that government has stepped in and decided to regulate it. And that will provide a downside air pocket. And it's possible, but it's also possible that it'll gain legitimacy actually. Uh -huh. um, because one of the knocks on cryptocurrency is that um, you don't know who's investing. Um, you know, you don't know what it is. You don't know where it's going. You don't know who's doing what. So as products hit the market like UBTC um, and exchanges, and, and you saw their launch of coin the other day, um, coin, coin share, the IPO. Um, so there's more and more products that give people exposure to cryptocurrency. And, as, uh, and, and if there's some ruling around it, it might actually provide legitimacy to mm -hmm. a sector that some people are very skeptic about. Right. Um, even though initially there might be a knee-jerk reaction if there is regulation around it, but actually right. it might give it legitimacy. So it's hard for me to make a I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, <laughs> but I think that this is, but this is a sector that's evolving. Yeah. So yeah, we do have a small exposure as well. Got it. Um, Dana, we talked a little bit about the importance of fund flows, but you also have a, a chart talking about global fund flows. You know, we were really looking more at the S&P 500, I believe, on the other chart. But what, what are we seeing these days as it relates to the global interest in, in equities? Um, you mean the equity um, sectoral and regional ETF flows. Um, they point to energy, industrial, and financials. Um, and it just, um, it just, it just proves um, what flows can actually do to a sector. Cause you know, these are the sectors that act. So it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. The flows push the sector and the sector is doing well, attracting more flows. So it's circular. Um, so this, this continues to be the case, uh, even now this, um, this sector uh, flows that um, I've sent you are, um, are to April 16th. So it's pretty recent. Even though we had, uh, with, the, with the rates moderating, we've had a little bit of a pause in the value um, trade, uh, but flows have not stopped coming in. So uh, we continue to be positive uh, on, on these flows. And, Global flows have seen that as well. Um, um, so uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, also plays into this is, and, and I think I sent you this chart as well, is the quantity on, on loan on the um, Spider uh, US ETF. And it's very, very low. 
Um, so short interest is, is fairly low, which uh, further um, points to um, a liking to the market and a, a, and a lack of, um, a lack of uh, anxiety. I wanted to mm -hmm. also make sure that you look at um, some of the things that moderate this inflationary um, view that a lot of people have and, and I've also mentioned is uh, loan growth in the US and the velocity of money. Mm -hmm. And loan growth in the US as we've seen in the earnings last week from the US banks is it's been tepid. Uh, a lot of their earnings came from uh, their investment banking and, and um, trading, which great, but not everybody loves it as being sustainable. Um, right. Loan growth is important and uh, NIMS are important. So um, we're looking for those NIMS to be up next quarter, but um, loan growth was low and low loan growth is disinflationary. So it offset some of the heavier inflationary um, impacts that we're seeing. And my point is mentioning, in mentioning that is that this can last for a couple of years and be good. In other words, okay. we're not going to have runaway inflation. Commodity-driven stuff is probably going to work from a reflation perspective. That's good for Canada. Um, some tech, cyclical tech, will mm -hmm. be nice. We're there as well. Okay. Um, so, D Diana, you're almost describing though a bit of a Goldilocks scenario, right? We're going to have some inflation, which will be pro-cyclical, but not too much because of what you just described in terms of low loan growth. I'm sure other factors as well. Um, but you've also got the Fed at your back and fiscal policy plans as well. And maybe we're also coming out of this pandemic. So all that sets up well for the continuation of an equitable market. It sets up well, but a couple of things that you mentioned are actually risks. Um, the high liquidity environment from the Fed, um, it's great, but the risk is that they're going to wake up one morning and say, just like Bank of Canada did, uh, that we need to start tapering. That's a risk. Uh, which we'll we'll go through when we get there. If we get there, it might be another year or two. I can't I can't see it immediate. Um, and, um, and and yeah, otherwise, you know, um, uh, otherwise things things look okay for sure. Um, a policy mistake is going to be the risk going forward. Um, policy mistake or just policy change. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't I I don't think we're there yet. And Diana, why don't we get to some of your top stocks as well? We talked about Nextera, but another one that you like, Freeport, Mach Moran. Yeah. Um, so on the theme of reflation, um, you look at um, year-to-date return on copper, it's uh, 25%. Um, Freeport is a pure copper play, has some gold, which fine. It managed well through COVID. Uh, it's exactly the kind of stock you want in this environment where it's reflation, um, you know, EV cars require 15% more copper than regular cars. So it even plays into that, um, you know, that, that green um, mm -hmm. aspect. Uh, China stimulating renewable energy sources and a tight global supply. So, um, you know, um, it, we expect, you know, they've, they've delivered high revenue growth 
and the dividend was reinstated, I think last quarter or the quarter before. So we have a small dividend, but um, this is not a dividend play for sure. The dividend just sh shows that they're okay from a cash flow perspective to actually commit to a dividend because companies, you know, once they commit to a dividend, they don't want to take it back. So when they commit to a dividend, they'll be small. It's actually just a, 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 a point of, of reference in terms of the confidence that they have. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so Nextera, Nextera, okay. uh, Nextera, uh, Freeport. 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 Okay. Um, and, and what about within tax, Diana? Because you guys, um, in, in terms of, you know, being where the, the movement is, that that's, that's your style of investing. And of yeah. course, therefore, you've had exposure, a lot of exposure to tech as of late, but now it looks as though you're a little bit underweight. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you do that in terms of, you know, trimming positions that you know are good companies? And I'm thinking of like an Apple or Google, which, you know, these companies are probably going to continue to work and work really well. So yeah. do you actually go overweight some of those versus the index um, and then underweight others? Or what are you doing in tech yeah. these days? Yeah, so um, if you would have, if we would have spoken a couple of years ago, tech would be about 30, sometimes even 50% of our portfolio. Uh, it's currently between 10 to 15. Wow. So, but remember, S&P exposure to tech is over 30%. So, um, and, 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 and gold in the S&P is non-existent. So when you have 5% gold, you're overweight. When you have 15%, you're underweight, so to speak. But 15% is not bad. Um, mm -hmm. What we own, we own things like Intel, LAM Research, AMAT, uh, Google, you mentioned, we own that one too, uh, Microsoft. So some of the reasons are um, we focus on semiconductors specifically uh, in the semiconductor equipment manufacturers. Uh, like LAM Research and AMAT, um, they make equipment that make semiconductors. And we know that there's a semiconductor tightness right now. Um, the fabs like Taiwan Semi and Samsung and Intel are operating at max capacity because of this demand supply imbalance. Uh, they wanna build more capacity um, to address this supply uh, demand imbalance in semis right now. Um, you know, Intel, for example, um, they, um, they, the semis as an industry is the cyclical side of technology. So, right. Right. We're talking about yeah. cyclical exposure. Um, they also benefit from the huge spend in PCs, um, that, uh, resulted from the build out of work from home, which by the way, work from home is not going away. I don't think. Uh, not maybe to the same extent that we have right now, but in some way, shape or form, I don't think anybody will not have a home unit to be able to fall back on like before. So, um, so Intel um, currently has 90% market share and processing capacity. This is very important as we use more and more stuff, right? Uh -huh. um, so 15% so technology but between financials and industrials and ag agricultural exposed stuff is also a big focus in our portfolio uh, is bigger than, than technology. So technology at 10, 15%, you're right, is very small for us. Mm -hmm. um, we have things like um, uh, Caterpillar, John Deere, Dow, 
we think agriculture equipment spending will be strong. Um, the average mm -hmm. farmer is in much better financial position. Agricultural commodity prices have strengthened and they have uh, received government support. So we see the sector working as well. Okay. On the reflation side. And, and Diana, um, I, I would love to get your take as well on what's going on in the rails, uh, CPCN's mm. bid for KSU, uh, with news coming out almost every day on that. What, um, what, do you, what are you expecting and what do you own? So we own CP. Um, um, so the, the, the merger that, um, that was proposed a little while ago, uh, it'll benefit C CP. Um, there will be synergies in uh, growth in the market or its exposure in general. Um, the current situation of, uh, of a bit of a competitiveness in the bid for the KSU, um, you know, that, that's not ideal. So from a CP perspective, we actually like both scenarios. If they don't win the merger, we think that they can go up because they don't have to pay for it. Um, and if they don't win the merger, um, they have, you know, volume growth has been very good. They've benefited from that. Their uh, revenue growth has been very good. Um, they continue, you know, we like transportation in general. Um, right. You know, uh, tr um, rail, uh, transporting goods by rail has really increased um, over, over this recent period that we've been going through. So CP is almost in a situation where, and this is longer term, it may not be so over the short term for CP as it gets embattled in these headlines. Um, but longer term, um, I think they benefit, it's kind of unique because they tend to benefit from, from both possible scenarios. Mm. And, you know, um, this is this is what you want when you invest in a company like Nextera, like CP, is where you can make a fairly positive outlook in both your risk scenarios. You know mm -hmm. how you say, "Oh, Goldilocks." Not everything is. Not every company has Goldilocks. Some companies have the good case scenario mm -hmm. or the bad case scenario. You have to make sure you're right. In certain cases like this, where you look at both the risk and the possible other side of the situation and where you don't see, if they don't win, they don't sell off, mm -hmm. you're good, then that is a possibly great investment because your downside is limited. Right. So that's, okay. what, that's what we feel about that. Do you think though that CN's bid will be the winning bid? It doesn't look like it. Okay. But, um, but uh, well, it, it doesn't seem like it um, right now. And they've already announced that they're not gonna raise it. So, um, so we'll see. Okay. Um, and Diana, just lastly here, I'm curious, um, GM, somebody else said to me a couple of weeks ago that this was one of their top picks. Why, why do you like GM? Yeah, we, uh, we own GM. GM is, uh, is, is, is rebuilding, uh, repositioning their business model. Um, has a strong balance sheet. It generates strong cash flow. It has leading margins. It has EV exposure, and um, it's doing well outside the U.S. 
and um, and they're strong in uh, pickup trucks, which is uh, right. It's it's now it's now in vogue pickup trucks. Yeah, and it's their most profitable segment. Yep, I drive my um, husband's. It's hysterical. <laughs> It's hysterical. My husband was. I, I look too small in it. So. <laughs> you, you drive your husband's pickup truck? I do. I love it, actually. It feels very empowering. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> and, I, it, and it is actually a GM. Yeah. So. Oh, there you go. See? There you go. There you go. Uh, well, Diana, well, why don't we just leave it on that note? It was great to catch up with you. I can't believe that uh, it's been about 45 minutes or so. I don't know how we condensed all this oh into gosh, really? you know, shorter formats. Wow. Yes. Sorry about wow. that because you got to get back to trading. I'm going to get back to trading. Is it up? Yeah. It's up now. It's oh, good. Green. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> Perfect timing. All right, Perfect. Diana, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. You too.